Good morning, good afternoon, good day, good evening, welcome back, good night, <laughs> to another episode of Midwest Madness, True Crime, Cult, Conspiracy, Cryptid Podcast. Did you get them all? True Crime. Yeah. That, why did that feel like you didn't get them all? I don't know. That was weird. I'm Emily. I'm Danielle. And uh, this week, Danielle is going to tell us the story. Yes. And true to form, it's um, a longer one because I did three different things. Okay. So I I hope people don't mind that I do that a lot, like where I cover three different like crimes at once, but I really like doing it because I feel like it gets out those stories that you might not hear on other podcasts just because they're so short. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to be fair, my last one, not that short. Uh, definitely probably could have stretched that into its own episode, but I was like, I'm already 90% done. I'm not. Your last one on that you're mm-hmm, that I'm covering today. today. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was like, I'm not turning back now. <laughs> so Fair enough. It's a little long, but yeah, I was still. Are these are all over, you said? Um. So, one is in Missouri. Um, oh, God. Sorry. Um, another one is in Michigan. And then the third one is in, like, Illinois, Ohio, and Indiana. Okay. So, literally, like, all over the place. Um, and I'm calling this episode Killer Couples. Oh. Interesting. Y- yay. Um... Carol Ann Fugate and her boyfriend were on the list that I found. Mm. Yes, we did um, that one a while ago. Yeah, from BuzzFeed. So thank you for, for um, me to BuzzFeed for helping me find these. I just want to make sure I gave them credit. <laughs> Go BuzzFeed. Um, okay, so our first couple is Bonnie Heedy and Carl Hall. On September 28th, 1953... A young woman named Bonnie Emily Heedy made her way to the French Institute of Notre Dame de Seine in Kansas City, Missouri. What the hell is that? It is a school. Oh, okay. For very wealthy children. Oh. Bonnie was there to pick up six-year-old Bobby Greenlease, the son of wealthy Kansas City car dealer Robert Cosgrove Greenlease Sr. So Bobby was the junior. Okay. She told the nun who opened the door, Sister Morand, that she was Bobby's aunt and that his mom had suffered a heart attack and Bobby needed to go home immediately. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, by that little noise you just made, I don't think you're buying her story, are you? No. I thought you the, like she was maybe like the nanny. Oh, no. No. So Sister Morand said that Bobby walked to the woman with no hesitation and went and got into the waiting cab with her. Um, so, like, she was like, there was nothing weird about his behavior. He just was like, okay, sounds good. That would never fly these days. Oh, God, no. No. Like, we, I work at a school, and we literally have a list of kids that I have to, like, clear with somebody before I can send them with certain people. And if... They're not on, if they're on that list that I have to clear them with, sometimes I would have to call the police if the parent showed up or the person showed up, I guess. 
Um, okay, so Sister Moran later called Bobby's home to ask how his mother was doing. And again, I won't, I don't think it'll come as much of a surprise to you that uh, Bonnie wasn't Bobby's mo- aunt and uh, Bobby's mom did not have a heart attack. Uh, in fact, Bobby's mom was the one who answered the phone and had to find out that her son had been kidnapped. Was this a boarding school? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, so she calls the Kansas City police who in turn report the incident to the FBI. So Willard Creech, a cab driver, reported to police that he had picked up a woman earlier that day who had asked to be brought to the school of Notre Dame de Sion and had asked him to wait. She returned within five minutes with a little boy in tow. He then dropped the two off at Kat's drugstore in Kansas City, where they got into a blue Ford sedan with Kansas license plates. So, now you might be asking, I, I did this to us. I jinxed us. I said they were so good last episode. Yeah. And it might get a little noisy, folks. Run, serious run. He's not going to leave you. No, I know. Okay. <laughs> um, just keep trucking. Yeah. So, okay. Um, Bonnie, who was an occasional sex worker, and her boyfriend, Carl Austin Hall, a formerly rich man who had squandered away his wealth uh, and previously served time for armed robbery, had kidnapped Bobby Greenlees. Within a few hours on September 28th, Carl and Bonnie sent their first ransom note demanding $600,000 in 10s and 20s for Bobby's return. And they said he would be returned safely as long as there were no tricks in delivering the duffel bag full of money. A second letter came the next morning. Inside was Bobby's Jerusalem medal, which I'm assuming is kind of like a St. Christopher's medal. Okay. Um, and the letter again demanded $600,000 and said that Bobby was okay but homesick. 600000 Yeah. In 1958. Jesus. I didn't look it up. That's a lot. But, yeah, because I kind of figured it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money now. Like, I would take $600,000 if someone was willing to give me that. Same. I mean, I'm not going to kidnap a child for it, but... Same. (laughs) Um... The final communication between the Greenleys family and Bonnie and Carl was to let the family know... That Bonnie and Carl had received the ransom money and that Bobby would be released within the next 24 hours. So they got their money. They did. Damn. Um, Carl had no intentions of giving Bobby back to his parents. Of course not. After taking him from the school, chatting with him on the drive, and even giving him ice cream, Carl brought Bobby to Bonnie's rural, rural farm in Kansas and shot him point blank to, quote, destroy evidence. End quote, which is what he considered Bobby to be. So, after he was dead was when they started contacting his family. Um, They used around six ransom notes and 15 phone calls over the next week, sending Bobby's family on a wild goose chase to try and find their son. They had promised to tell him where he was after they got their money, but once the family paid the information... That was supposed to lead them to their son never came. Um, On October 5th, after picking up the ransom money, Bonnie and Carl drove to St. Louis, 
Once they were in St. Louis, Carl went and bought two metal suitcases to disguise where the money was, and then they went to a motel. There did not seem to be a plan after they got the ransom money other than to get drunk. As one um, they were both does. severe alcoholics, like would start their day drinking and end their day pretty much passed out. Um, just icky. So pretty. These are bad people. Yeah. Pretty sad way to live your life. Honestly. I know it's a disease. Yes. But they're also shit people. They are shit people. Who have a disease. Yeah. Um, so they rent an apartment in St. Louis, um, rather than staying in a motel and then drank until Bonnie passed out. Carl then left $2,000 in Bonnie's purse and took off. No. Yep. Carl's a real fucking winner. Honestly, like A plus boyfriend material. On October 6th, Carl bought two large garbage cans and a shovel with the intention of burying the ransom money out by the Merrimack River, but he couldn't find a place he liked enough, so he deserted the garbage cans and went back to the motel that he'd been staying at. So then he got paranoid about where he was and decided to move to another apartment. So Bonnie's at the original apartment. He's at a new one. Then he started to spend copious amounts of money on taxi rides around town, sex workers, and alcohol. This ended up being the pair's downfall. Good. A crab... Crab. (laughs) A cab driver named John Hager became suspicious of the amounts of money that Carl had on him and reported it to the police. The police arrested Carl, and after contacting the FBI, it was quickly determined that he was involved with Bobby's kidnapping because this guy's clearly not a criminal mastermind. Um, Carl gave up Bonnie, literally leaving, leading the police to where he'd left her, um, and she was arrested later that night. Was he, she... Sorry. Like, was this, like, days later, I'm assuming? So this was on October 6th. So they got the money on October 5th. Oh. And got arrested the night of October 6th. What? <laughs> Did I feel like this was like days like Bonnie probably didn't even know we had left her. Yeah, she probably was like, oh, he'll be back. Well, she probably still passed out. Yeah, or that. Because it was like later that night that she got arrested. Jesus. <laughs> like I said, not criminal masterminds over here. No. Um... Carl claimed that he was involved in the kidnapping for ransom, collecting the ransom, the actual abduction, and the burying of Bobby's body. Try saying that five times fast. Did Bonnie know that Bobby was dead? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was her farm that they buried him at. Oh, right, 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 right. But that he didn't kill Bobby. He instead claimed a man named Tom Marsh had killed Bobby. Poor Tom was like, what? Tom Marsh is not a real person. Oh, okay, good. He just, like, made up a person. (laughs) Um, Carl and Bonnie were both sentenced to death for their part in the kidnapping and murder of Bobby Greenlees. Um, They were killed via gas chamber together. Carl was pronounced dead first and Bonnie was pronounced dead 20 seconds later. They died on December 18th, 1953. I didn't even know they did that. Yeah, I didn't either. Like, I thought it was like a solo adventure, which is a really gross way for me to put that. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that they killed people in gas chambers. Oh, yeah. Lethal injection, electrocution, gas chamber. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's a shitty way to go. 
I mean, they were shitty people. They were very and I'm not people. at all condoning the death penalty or not condoning the death penalty. Like, I'm, I haven't thought enough about it to know. This is Missouri. Where I stand. Yeah. So, I just, yeah, I, I don't have any feelings on the death penalty, I guess is what I'm saying. Because I don't want to get into it. Because it's a very large topic. Yeah, I don't think anyone would think you were trying to get into it. <laughs> I just wanted to be very clear. Um, so Gwendolyn Graham and Kathy Wood are... Oh, so that's... Yeah, that was the end. Next. They're dead. So Goodbye. Can't really go any further than that. Shitty people. Um, so Gwendolyn and Kathy were co-workers at Alpine Manor Nursing Home oh. in Walker, Michigan in 1987. Um, they were also a couple. Oh. Some of my sources said that they were nurses and others said that they were nurses aides, so I'm not entirely sure which one's correct. Um, What's the difference? I was actually just going to tell you. Okay. A nurse's aide is often called a CNA, and oh. they are there to assist the nurse, and they do not have their RN or registered nurse certificate. Got it. Um, Gwendolyn and Kathy uh, were into experience. Choking. Asphyxiation. Thank you. Um, As a part of their sexual life. So they would choke one another to have better orgasms. And this led Gwendolyn to tell Kathy that she wanted to kill someone as part of their foreplay. Oh my goodness. Kathy claimed that Gwendolyn would have her stand guard while she did the killing via suffocation. Um, But Gwendolyn says that they did it together. Which, you know, shocking. Um... So, Gwendolyn and Kathy would pick their victims based off of their first names. They wanted to spell a very specific word. It was a six-letter word, and I would like to see if you can guess it. She's counting on her fingers. (laughs) I feel like there's so many six-letter words. It was murder. You're joking me. No. Yeah, they literally, like, chose people that, like, had that. It wasn't necessarily, like, their first names or, like, because I have the names of all of them. But, like, somewhere, like, one of their initials, like, their first, their middle, or their last had one of those letters in it. Okay. Um... So, their victims ranged from 60 to 95 years old, and most suffered from Alzheimer's. And How did they therefore not get caught? were unable to fight back. Gwendolyn often took souvenirs from the victims, and she and Kathy allegedly told their co-workers what they'd done, including showing off the souvenirs, but none of their co-workers believed them. They thought they were just fucking around. Okay, but how did they think these people died? Natural causes. You can't tell when someone's been choked? It was, they would put a pillow over their face. Damn. Yeah. Um, so the pair ended up breaking up and Gwendolyn moved to Texas where she got a new job working with infants. Oh no. Um, Kathy eventually told her ex-husband what she and Gwendolyn had done. Allegedly, she told her ex because she was worried about the children that Gwendolyn was working with. Um, and then I read 
in one of my sources and I didn't write it down that her husband or her ex-husband waited like three more months to say anything to police. Um, if someone says this to you, report it. Yes. I don't think we need to tell you guys that twice, but, or once even. I would hope not. Um, so police identified eight possible, possible victims that ended up, oh, but ended up charging the two women with only five deaths. When Gwendolyn was arrested, she claimed that she had only told her coworkers that she killed the patients, quote, as a joke to scare them, end quote. (laughs) Not really something I would joke about personally. I thought, I thought you meant as a joke to scare the the people they killed. Oh. And then I was like, but they're They're dead. dead. Yeah. So... No, to scare the not coworkers. Not a really funny joke. <laughs> it's not a funny joke it's at all. Not a funny joke either way. But uh, okay, this that makes a little more sense. Um. Okay. So, the five victims that the women were charged for were Marguerite Chambers, sixty, which is um. so young. But remember, it it could be their middle names too, because oh, um, this one has one that's a B. But I don't know what her middle name is. I don't have any middle names. Um, Edith Cole, 89. Myrtle Lucas, 95. Mae Mason, 79. And Belle Burkhard, 74. Oh, women? Yeah. This was a women's house. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, I thought I mentioned that. You might have. Um, so Kathy pled out for a reduced sentence. Again, claiming that she was a lookout and sometimes distracted their supervisors while Gwendolyn killed the patients. She ended up being charged with one count of second-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 20 years on each count and has been eligible for parole since 2005. Damn. She was released from prison on January 16th, 2020. In the article I found, it said that she was moving to South Carolina to live with her sister. So, here comes the big question for you. If I was a serial killer or worked with one, would you let me move into your house? No. I honestly no offense I love you so much and I would do pretty much anything for you like literally take a bullet but I don't think I'd let you live in my house either if you were <laughs> gotta a, draw the line somewhere <laughs> you know I mean to be fair allegedly she didn't actually kill us anybody she was just involved doesn't matter yeah I'm with you I don't think I'd let you live in my house either um but like that's why mom and dad had a third child do you know just why <laughs> how old she was when she got released um, I think in her early 70s. Okay, so she is pretty old. Older. Yeah. She, I mean, like, she definitely she, has some years left in her. Yeah. She looked honestly pretty okay for having been in prison for that long. What about the other one? Um, Gwendolyn was charged and found guilty of five counts of murder, one count of conspiracy to commit murder, and she was given five life sentences. And is currently in the Huron Valley Complex for female offenders. Okay. So she's still in jail. Yes. And will be forever. Yes. And this also, okay, this is kind of a tangent, but like I have a theory about why prisons tend to be so haunted. How do you serve out more than one life sentence? Oh. Doesn't that kind of make sense? A little bit, yeah. So like you die and that's your first life sentence and then you are stuck there for the next however many years your life was just interesting a, just a theory on on my part 
Interesting. Maybe someone else has had that theory, but that's just, yeah. Okay. My final couple is Alton Coleman and Deborah Brown. I do want to give a warning on this one. Oh. This involves sexual assault against children. The R word, which I do say, um, which I know can be triggering for people. So, but I don't want to like diminish what they did to their victims. Um, and you're I'm not the mental health R word, the like sexual assault R word. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'll be more specific. Um, and I just wanted to like give a warning about that. This is my last story. So if those are topics you cannot hear about or don't want to hear about, and you're not Emily who has to hear about them, um, don't we'll talk to you next week <laughs> yeah yeah don't try and find where this one ends because it's just, it's the, end, just the end yeah, yeah. and I, I did that on purpose okay so alton coleman had a rough childhood his mom threw him away after he was born Ooh. and he was only saved because of his grandma who was living in the house at the time pulled him out of the trash His mom was a single parent of three kids. He was the third of what would end up being five children. And she was holding down three jobs as well as working as a sex worker. So after he was taken out of the trash, he was given back to his mom. Like, yeah, mom and grandma lived together. Lived together. And so I'm assuming grandma attempted to help as best she could. It's not a great house, home life. Um... It was full of drugs and sexual abuse. And according to one of my sources, as a child, Alton was forced into group sex situations with his mom and grandma. Gross. Yeah. Alton ended up dropping out of school by ninth grade and joined a local street gang. His first known sexual offense happened in 1973 when Alton was 18. He and an accomplice abducted 54-year-old Eleanor McIntyre at gunpoint raped her and stole her car and stole money from her. Through a plea deal, Alton was only convicted of armed robbery. Damn. After he rolled out in 1976, he was again put on trial for the rape of 17-year-old Sherry Patterson. He was able to convince the jury that the act was consensual. While in prison awaiting trial, he sexually assaulted three inmates but was only convicted of battery. What the hell? Be prepared to get really pissed off. It's just like, okay, so... Because all of this could have been prevented if they just kept him in prison where he should have been for the sexual assaults. Yeah. In 1980, he was again acquitted of raping 22-year-old Dorothy Hawkins. And in 1981, he was involved in the sexual assault of of a 17-year-old girl whose name we do not have because she was a minor. And also raped a 14-year-old accomplice, or sorry, friend of hers, but the case was dismissed due to lack of evidence. Dude. In 1983, he was charged with molesting his 8-year-old niece, Melinda Snow, twice. Again, the charges were dismissed. What the actual fuck? In 1984, Alton raped 14-year-old Shalandra Thompson at Knife Point in North Chicago on February 28th. On May 29th of the same year, he kidnapped a nine-year-old girl named Vernita in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Vernita may have been raped and was strangled to death by Alton. Her body was found on June 19th. This man has a serious problem. Yes. So, this is where it's going to get a little bit confusing with the dates because, like, 
he does the crime and then the body is found but before the body is found other things happen right so we're gonna be kind of bouncing around a little bit if you need clarification please let me know okay okay so his girlfriend deborah brown joined him in indiana on june 18th the two approached seven-year-old tamika turks and nine-year-old annie hillard the two used a ruse to trick the two girls into coming into the woods with them where they tied the two children up. When Tamika started crying, Alton stomped on her, so like to kill her. Dude. Um, and carried her away where they left her to die. Annie was then forced to perform oral sex on both Alton and Deborah, then was raped. They attempted to kill both girls by strangling them with a belt. But Annie miraculously survived and was found. Holy shit. Yeah. Like I said, this one is it's it's not great. No. Um, June 19th, Phil and Pam, a.k.a. Alta, Alton and Deborah, um, befriended a 25 year old woman named Donna Williams. She was never seen again. Her body was found in Detroit on July 11th in an abandoned warehouse. Donna had been strangled, but it was undetermined if she was raped or not due to Alton's past behavior. We can probably make an assumption that she was. Yeah. Um, but there was too much decomp to tell. And much about Deborah's background. Um, Deborah uh, had a very small blip. Okay. And it pretty much said that she was, like, in a stable home life. Okay. There was no trauma there. It was nothing okay. like Alton's. Right. Um. So, it, yeah, it's... She has, since being arrested, um, been diagnosed with mental disabilities. I don't know what. It just said... One of them said mental retardation which made me very uncomfortable i don't think that is how we should still be phrasing that when uh, when was the article written i don't know for sure and it was like a blog spot so i'm sure that whoever wrote it doesn't even realize that they remember or doesn't even realize they wrote it like that or have it like that still right at least i hope um and then the other one just said that um it was i gotta find it sorry um a diagnosis of mental disabilities okay so which i like much better sorry nope it's okay just Um, curious yeah totally fair okay so uh they found her body her car was also found and it contained a fake id that deborah had been using as well as alton's fingerprints as pam yeah um, June 24th, Alton and Deborah adopt- abducted a 28-year-old woman at Knife Point and demanded she drive them to Ohio. She previously ran her car into a parked truck, jumped out, and ran away. Good for her. Which is exactly what I've always thought I would do. Yeah. I would at least hope I have enough <laughs> mental awareness at the time to do that. Um, June 28th, Alton and Deborah broke into the home of Palmer, 62, and Marge, 59, Jones. They then beat them, robbed them, and stole their car. This is just like, I mean, holy shit. Yeah, it's really not great. Like, I honestly considered not doing it. After I, like, got into it, I was like... It's a little tough. It's bad. Yeah. And it doesn't get better for a while. Great. July 2nd, they broke into the home of Marion Gaston and Mary Billups, where they beat, gagged, and stole their car. 
July 6th in Ohio, the pair went to the home of 30-year-old single mother Virginia Temple, where she and her five children had dinner with the couple. Um, she had met them previously at someone else's home. And um, they were going to stay the night, but Alton and Deborah forced Virginia and her 10-year-old daughter Rochelle into the basement where they beat and strangled them after raping Rochelle and possibly Virginia. Again, police couldn't tell. Um, they left their bodies in the crawl space of the basement and took off. On July 12th, Alton Coleman was placed as number 11 on the FBI's most wanted list, which God. very rarely happens. He's um, number one on my list. Yeah, he's... Yeah, he's he really, needs to be stopped. He's really terrible. Um, How have I never heard of him? I know. I was shocked. I was like, holy crap. Um, so also on July 12th, the pair broke into yet another couple's home, Frank 77 and Dorothy 73, Duvendak, where they again bound and ganked the homeowners before stealing some money and a car. Also, it's like, why are they like beating and bounding and gagging some and leaving them alive and then killing others? It's just I th- very random. I th- don't know if like... It was an intentional we're leaving you alive or like you just happened to survive this beating that we gave you. Um, to me, I feel like it's an intentional leaving them alive. You think so? Just because you cl- they clearly know how to kill people. Yeah. Unfortunately. That's true. And um, it's just too many. And it seems to be like the point. couples. Yeah. And, and they're leaving alive. they tend to be older too. Yes. Yeah, because I think his oldest um, rape victim was, like, 54, and it yeah, was that, that was the first beginning. Yeah. victim. Yeah. And that's why I put the ages in here, was just because it was, like, zero discrimination on age. Right. You just know? That, yeah. Um, and that's always... No, like, MO. Yeah. Really. Not, like, their MO is not age-based. It's more, like, what we do yeah, yeah, to yeah. them based. Yeah. Um, which, for a lack of better word, I found kind of interesting was like, because it's not like interesting in a good way. It's like interesting in a really gross way. Yeah. You know. Um, also on July twelfth, a fifteen-year-old girl named Tony Story was reported missing by her parents. On July nineteenth, Tony's body was found. Or sorry, yeah, Tony's body was found um, in a vacant apartment building. She too was strangled to death, but again, police were unable to determine if she was raped. Um, July 13th, the couple again broke into a house, this one of Harry, 45, and Marlene, 44, Walters. When their 19-year-old daughter, Sherry, came home later that afternoon, she found her parents' home ransacked, and her parents bound, beaten, and gagged in the basement. Unfortunately, Marlene did die of her wounds. Harry was semi-conscious and was able to later identify... Sorry, I just accidentally swiped. Um, later identify the... Alton and um, Deborah. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. So that's why I almost think that, like, it wasn't intentionally leaving people alive because Marlene didn't survive. I still lean towards they left people alive. I mean, solely because there's just so many that were left alive. That's true. And only one died. That's true. That's a good point. So far. So far. In this way, I should yeah. say. 
on july 16th alton this and deborah like two days one day next day mm-hmm. it's insane yeah they just went on a spree they just went nutsola um alton and deborah along with a man named thomas harris abducted 33 year old Olean carmichael jr and placed a call to his wife for ransom they never arrived to pick up the money Fortunately, Olean was found alive in the trunk of his car in Dayton, Ohio, where Alton, Deborah, and Thomas had abandoned it. Again, weird. Yeah, super weird because like that doesn't fit anything they've done no. before. All and their other person that on him. Yeah, I don't know if it was like a friend of theirs or like, yeah, he just comes out of nowhere and then he's never heard from again. Okay. And they kidnapped a man. Yeah. Which they'd never done before. Right. So it's almost like I feel like it's like Thomas knew who this guy was. Or you or, think maybe they were getting like bored and they were like, Maybe we need to try something new. I don't think so. No. I, I think it was more Thomas's influence okay. being like, Oh, I know this guy has money. We'll get money if we Because um Alton never had like a steady job, obviously. How could he? Because his behavior is so erratic. And um, Deborah had, I think they'd met this way because she'd been like a caregiver and she was working for his family taking care of his grandmother. So I don't know. I don't know if it was his, I, I suppose it had to be his maternal grandma. But that, that was just in one source. So I don't know how true that is. Okay. Um. And then... July 19th, Alton and Deborah visit the home of Reverend Millard Gay, 79, and his wife, Catherine, 77. They had previously stayed with this couple under the guise of Phil and Pam. Reverend Gay told Alton and Deborah he knew who they really were, and a fight broke out. Oh, no. The Gays were tied, beaten, and uh, Alton attempted to strangle Catherine but was unsuccessful. Just before he and Deborah left, he attempted again to kill Catherine by shooting her, but his gun malfunctioned. Damn. Yeah, she she got very lucky. Twice. Yeah. Um, later on July 19th, the body of Eugene Scott, 79, was found in a ditch with several stab wounds and gunshots. July 29th, Elton and Deborah were arrested in Mason Park, Evanston, Illinois, following a tip from a passing motorist who recognized the pair. And I feel like we've been to Evanston before, but I couldn't figure out when because the name looked really familiar. And it's not like I'm from Illinois and would recognize that. So I was like, maybe Emily will remember. I don't remember. Okay. Um... Deborah and Alton surrendered without a fight, but did give fake names to police at the time of their arrests. Alton also had a steak knife in his boot, and De- Deborah had a loaded gun in her purse. The two were later identified by their fingerprints. Alton was tried in Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, and was sentenced to two death four times. One for the murder of Marlene Walters, one for the murder of Tony Story, one for the murder of Tamika Turks, and one for the kidnapping and murder of Vernita Wheat. In both Ohio and Illinois, he acted as his own lawyer and of called Deborah as a witness and oh, then Jesus. tried to unsuccessfully pin the murders um, of th- just the murder of Marlene Walters on Deborah. Okay. What a piece of shit, honestly. Um. Deborah received two death sentences in Ohio and Indiana for her part in the... Oh, sorry. Hold on. I skipped a bullet. 
Um, he so Alton was executed by lethal injection on April twenty second, two thousand two. Oh, thank God. His last words were Psalm twenty three. Oh no, which is quote a Psalm of David: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. End quote. Emily just rolled her eyes and gave the finger. Yep. Which, honestly, same. This guy sucks. He's just the worst and is absolutely in hell. Do you know, like, the like number of people, like, he raped or killed? Um, one of my sources had it. I can look That's, in a minute. I mean, you don't have to. I was just curious. I was trying to count when you went through, I th- but it was very. I hard think to. it's like, like seven rapes and. That's it? You, I feel like you said a lot more than seven. But that that was just the rapes. That wasn't the murders or the the kidnappings and and the. I think that's what it said. I can look. I'll look. Okay. It's on here, but um. So Deborah received two death sentences in Ohio and Indiana for her part in the murders of Marlene Walters and Tamika Turks. In 1989, her Ohio death sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. In her in 1991, her Indiana sentence was also commuted, um, and this was due to her diagnosis of mental disabilities, as I mentioned before. Um, she also has 140 years in Indiana to serve, so that's two life sentences and 140 years. So she is clearly never getting out of prison. Yeah. Um, she has re- expressed regret in her parts of the killings and apologized to the victims' families in a video in 2005. So. That was a tough one. Yeah, it was terrible. And I honestly like thought about stopping several times and was like, I'm this far Okay, so according to this one, okay, let me see. Number, oh, here we go. Number of victims, um, one to two killed by Alton only, seven killed together, three attempted together. Oh, here we go. Eight to 15 raped by Coleman, um, who is Alton. Um, one raped together and nine assaulted together yeah okay damn so seven was the murdered yeah so yeah pretty awful um my sources there we go my sources were um for all three of my stories fbi.gov um abc30.com murderpedia.org criminalmindsfandom.com which is the one that I was like I don't like this phrasing that's mm-hmm. where that was so that's where I'm pretty sure it's just like somebody's blog um and then indiestar.com yikes yeah yeah it was I'm really sorry I feel really bad that's fine it was tough it was ugh. yeah um I guess not much to say after that. Interesting, though. Yeah. It's surprising I haven't heard of any of them before. I know. That's what I thought, too. Um, And actually, I heard about the um, Bobby Greenlease Mm. um, on Sinisterhood. Do you listen to that one? No. I like that one a lot. I find it very, very charming. And one of them is a lawyer. 
so like you get a different perspective listen to it for a while and then i stopped yeah i i like that you get like a lawyer's perspective because a lot of us just don't have that background and it's very hard sometimes to understand um but they were like oh yeah they were like doing like a live show and you know just kind of like throughout and oh and you know everybody knows about the bobby greenlease murder and i was or kidnapping and i was like i don't so that's kind of what started me on the trail of that really super horrible story all right um socials midwest madness podcast the group on facebook yes mw madness podcast on instagram and that is also our gmail that was that was real nice thanks (laughs) um yeah okay i hope i didn't ruin everyone's week i'm so sorry (laughs) this is gonna have like four listens no (laughs) it was good um cool well we will Hope you have a good rest of your week and talk to you next Tuesday. Bye.